Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Um, so we have to properly set up uh, the the flashback here. Um, so say, Michael Denniston, uh, do you remember <laughs> it was around Oscar season uh, 2016, and we talked about Jackie, and you paired uh. it with. Uh, Cookie's Fortune and the Queen. Do you remember that conversation? I feel like you made the pairing and I made the stupid decision to uh, have us watch Jackie. I feel like that's how it went. But if you want to remember it uh, in a more positive fashion directed my way, I'll accept that. So sure. Well, a lot of people made a stupid decision to watch (laughs) Jackie back then. A lot lot of people made a stupid decision to make Jackie back then. Uh, we can't be responsible for all that, sure, but you no. know, uh, cue, cue the flashback, uh, right? Yeah. Like Wayne's world, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Holly Springs, Mississippi. Ah, nice out here today. A quiet little town. Okay. I thought I might make some catfish enchiladas. No. Where nothing ever happens. Jumai. But when the town's nuttiest woman gets whacked... There's blood everywhere, red, like the coral that the fishers have found. Hold on just a minute. Discovering who done it. What's going on? They broke in the door and they got one of her guns. She was shot. ...is going to be murder. Watch what... Back up, back out. From acclaimed filmmaker Robert Altman, director of The Player, Shortcuts, and MASH. Lester, who are all these people? Glenn Close, Julianne Moore, Liv Tyler, Chris O'Donnell... Charles S. Dutton, and Academy Award winner Patricia Neal. He's innocent. And what makes you so sure of that? Because I fished with him. Cookie's fortune. Let's move on to the, the film that was uh, it was a little bit more divisive in the selection. Uh, and I have to admit, I had not seen it, uh, but I remembered it from my video store uh, employment days, Cookie's fortune, because that was uh, uh, the end of the, the 90s, and it had one of those... Uh, well, uh, as you will know, those terrible sort of 90s posters and box art of these sort of Sundance hopeful films. Uh, Cookie's Fortune kind of got swept in that uh, same, <laughs> under that same rug for me, <laughs> and I just avoided it. And I'd forgotten uh, until we were having another conversation 
uh, where you brought up Robert Altman. And so then when I'm looking at this thing, I'm like, oh, it was Altman. Well, I should probably get around to seeing that. So uh, that swayed me about as much as uh, Ben Zook's just forceful <laughs> push to get this on the show. I'm expecting you love this film since you really went to bat for it, for it to be in this you know awesome Jackie episode we're going to put out to the masses. Yeah, this is, you know, much like The Queen, I think this is a very straightforward, uh, you know, and quite frankly, very likable uh, movie. Uh, I had seen it in the late 90s when it came out. I think my parents had dragged me to it um, and I ended up, you know, unexpectedly really liking it. Uh, You know, I this is a movie that if someone was to tell me that they wanted to check out Robert Altman, but they wanted to check out something, you know, really light first that wasn't mm-hmm. too heavy and, uh, you know, detailed and, you know, could just be enjoyed, uh, you know, on an entertainment level. Um, I would tell them to check out Cookie's Fortune because I do think it's about as straightforward an Altman film, um, you know, as you, as you can have. Uh, and if you don't like this film, you probably, I don't know, you probably wouldn't get into the, the rest of his filmography. Um, uh, you know, I love the way he portrays small town life here. Uh, I love the quirkiness of it. I love the uh, um, correspondence here that we have with (laughs) this running joke we have with Ned Beatty uh, saying that, of course, uh, Charles Sutton couldn't be the killer here because because he's fish fish with him. And, and, you know, when you fish with a man, uh, you get to know him a different way. And so, of course, that's, you know, that's all he really needs. Um, You know, and I love... Also helped along... (laughs) Because they never cut to it's like it's not like we had a scene at the beginning of the film where they had some deep, uh, you know, conversation about ethics or morality while they were fishing. It's not because it's, there's some specific uh, bit of uh. dialogue here. It's just left sort of as a blank canvas. It's just like well, fishing. That just of course that's all you need to know. And I did I did like that that sort of running gag they have. And so much like uh, the Queen and Jackie, there you know is a death early on in the movie, uh, and the death here is Cookie. And, you know, she has killed herself, but her uh, niece, uh, Camille, played by Glenn Close, has come in and decided that, you know, uh, no member of her family can be, you know, can kill themselves. And so she has to make it look like a murder, um, which is what incriminates uh, Dutton's character. Um, And so much like so interesting and interestingly enough, uh, both. Uh, Cookie's Fortune and the Queen have a quote at uh, near the beginning of them uh, that that I think weighs heavily to you know to the meaning of the rest of the film. But you probably didn't catch the one in Cookie's Fortune because it flashes up so fast uh, and it isn't um, put in by the director. It's put in in the, in the scenery. Um, so at the very beginning, we uh, about five minutes in, we get a establishing shot of the church where Camille is putting on her uh, uh, performance of uh, her production of Salome. And on the front of the church, the quote of the day is, pride and pretense are the jockeys of misfortune. And so (laughs) the, the pretense that Camille is putting up is that, of course, no one in her family can die of suicide, that no one can, you know, kill themselves, that it's immoral and something only crazy people do. So she has to live a lie, uh, you know, in order, in order I, I don't know, in order, in order to feel like a better person. The other, you know, word in the quote, uh, pride, uh, Camille, when everything is finally found out 
and uh, you know, and she's in the in the jail cell. Uh, the you know, she says she says pride that pride is what uh, her aunt Jewel had, and that's why she could never have allowed her to go down with the history of having killed herself. Uh, and and so you know, in amongst all this entertainment and all this quirkiness and all this fun that I think this movie is having. Um, there are like, like tiny little bits of stuff. Uh, people tend to assume that Robert Altman was just this crazy person who threw out the script every day and said, all right, we're just going to make it up. And, you know, yeah, uh, well, you know, no. Um, <laughs> you mean he didn't just say to everyone, just talk over each other and I'll just, we'll just get something out of this. He encouraged improvising uh, and ad-libbing between actors. Uh, but, you know, he did, I, obviously he did not just throw out the script every day uh, and start over. I think you're ruining <laughs> Altman for me right now. I'm no longer a fan. Well, he, he, I mean, he probably did, maybe did that once. I don't know. He said, he, here's what he said. Here's what he always said. He said that there was a script and it was written and it was worked on, but that he wouldn't, he himself would not look at it on the day. And if he wanted an actor to say something different, they would. And and that's basically how, how it would go. Let me get to a couple of my issues with film. On okay. That you sad, <laughs> sad man. You've got to have issues with Cookie's Fortune. <laughs> well, all right. There's there's a certain uh, likability uh, that it has, and it's, uh, it's authenticity. It's very quirky. Um, I did like the look of the film, uh, which apparently they did shoot – this was an actual town in Mississippi, so it's like that's that's shocking. I don't know how often that would happen uh, now, but it is sort of there. There are a couple of those those '90s things that I don't. It can't escape, and it's just in the casting. Um, I'm not really a fan of Liv Tyler here as as Emma, uh, who is uh, the main supporter of Charles Dutton's uh, character uh, and his innocence, uh, as far as um, I guess. Ned Beatty also, uh, who just doesn't buy it because, the, as you mentioned, the, the fishing quote, uh, and Chris O'Donnell. And Chris O'Donnell and Liv Tyler have this sort of comedic uh, romance, which to me is not its not ever really developed any more than it's just a, a sight gag. There are a couple of different sex sequences where things get caught in doors, and that, that happens throughout the film. There, there are a number of just sort of visual uh, sort of puns in a way um, that like in one sequence, Glenn Close getting her hand actually caught literally in cookies jar as the cops come in. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't think those two in particular Tyler and O'Donnell um, have the sensibility. I don't know. They just, to me, they, uh, they never escaped the fact that they were just probably popular actors in that time that could get help get this film made they were up and comers in a way and uh i think it's they really pale in comparison to glenn close and julianne moore in particular who i don't know if i've i don't remember her playing a part like this before like playing someone so beneath uh that actress's intelligence in a way like in a, in a very fun silly way as uh as cora Oh so, yeah, and so you're, you're talking about Liv the character. Tyler. You're talking about the character's intelligence, obviously, right? You're not talking about uh, Julianne Moore's. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess in a way, in a way, I am. <laughs> I am assuming that she's uh, she's very intelligent because she's very good at her craft. I don't know, but she's. Uh, I don't think she often plays this type of character. She's usually someone who uh -huh. uh, is in a position of power or is extremely insightful, uh, very sharp, and here. Uh, yeah, Cora is the very definition of, of dingy uh, and is really a complete bother to uh, Glenn Close's Camille. So th those are the comedic moments that work for me. 
the Liv Tyler, Chris O'Donnell relationship, uh, not so much. I always want you know, to get fi- back to the sisters. I'm fine with the Liv Tyler, Chris O'Donnell stuff. I think it works that they're playing, you know, very young, inexperienced characters. And so it's not like a huge stretch for them or anything. And they're really not men. No. I don't think they're the core of, of the movie, really, at the at the end of the day. Um, you know, the core of the movie, I think, is is between uh, Patricia Neal and Glenn Close and Julianne Moore and Charles S. Dutton. And, and, and you know, that all, I, I think, transpires in a really interesting way. Uh, I love this jail cell scene where Julianne Moore just gets progressively, uh, her whisper gets progressively lighter and lighter. Did you tell him? about Aunt Jill. Did you tell him what happened? I told him the whole truth and nothing but. <sighs> so what'd they say? When are they gonna let me out of here? I told them exactly how it happened. Like you and me know how it happened. Remember? Cora. What do you mean like you and me know how it happened? That Aunt Jill was murdered. They asked me if there was a suicide note and if she had a gun in her hand. And I said, absolutely not. I never, ever. I think it's an amazing scene. I think it's maybe one of the best uh, scenes in uh, Altman's filmography. Uh, and I love Altman, so that's really saying something. Um, and there's some subtle stuff with Cora. Uh, for example, she claims that at the end that she's in her costume because she couldn't get into the house because uh, Glenn Close had the key. But when in that one quick shot we get, when the phone is ringing, you, if you look in the background, the door is clearly open. Um, so, you know, so Cora is, you know, is lying and is probably lying because she, she sees this as her, her way of getting rid of Camille. And, the and, constant yeah. director in her life, <laughs> the one that's always, always, I mean, always really staging in her attempt. She's trying to stage the whole town. It's this one one big production uh, to repair uh, what she perceives to be as like damage to the the family's good name in a way. And I I also wondered with the the characterization of Cora if that was if that was why uh, Camille is so adamantly opposed to having this suicide stain their their family in a way that she is so afraid of any sort of uh mental illness uh or or people assuming mental illness because of her relationship with Cora if that's what sort of drove her to do that is something that is really rash like in this type of situation you would expect uh it's mainly just a grab for the will which that does come a little bit into it later but i i truly believed i bought into the idea of this sort of small town um social faux pas in a way uh, that that would be devastating for her, for Cookie to have, for everyone to know that she killed herself. And I think Camille, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but I think Camille, you know, has a secret in her past that, that mm-hmm. she's, you know, that we never even see her acknowledge uh, at any point in the movie. Um, even when she finds out about the will and who is and who is who is getting all the money from the will and that's not her she she does like like it would be perfectly appropriate for her to be angry or upset or disappointed but she goes oh yes 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 of course of course we would want you to have all that money and that's exactly how it should be and then she asks to, to read the will herself um you know she is someone who is constantly putting up 
pretense, um, you know, and, and living a lie. And she's been doing so, you know, for, you know, for, for uh, over 30 years, um, you know, that we can, we can assume uh, in the movie. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's a person fighting being a human being. And, and, you know, that's what I find, you know, so interesting about it. I, I can't imagine an independent film uh, like this now, uh, especially with someone like Altman attached to it, because uh, you said earlier that it's it's a light Altman. And that's sometimes I think, in, especially in independent film, can be taken as an insult. Like it's sort, of, it's sort of just a light movie going experience. I think a lot of, you know, this is certainly a far cry from something like Moonlight as far as their their aims. Uh, and it had me nostalgic, it had me missing these smaller stories where there's, I mean, sure, there's a death here, but there's this is not a, a great social cause movie in any way. It's not aspiring to be yeah. important. And I th- I feel like uh, independent films, unless it's a pure genre exercise now, uh, they have to. They have to go for big and important just to to be heard, just hoping that the critics will sort of take up their cause in a way. And I have no idea if this was successful in any regard because I was a teenager and I ignored it in the late 90s. But I imagine it wouldn't be successful at all with with sort of film Twitter today. It it did okay, and and especially in comparison to you know Altman's other movies because he had you know a lot of movies that did not do you know very well. Uh, you know this this is actually one of his you know okay box office hits um and so yeah i'm sad too i'm sad that this kind of movie can't exist anymore i really love the way uh they portray the the willis character here because early on uh we do see him uh stealing from uh his sort of local uh blues bar haunt uh and then later on it's the sequence where he uh is going to to buy more wild turkey, another pint. And my assumption uh, was like, man, this guy really puts it away. Like what a, you know, what a lovable <laughs> town loser. And he's, but it's like, you know, the sun's up and it's like, you know, normal, like daytime hours and his immediate desire is to replace uh, what he's taken. And th- there was a sense that it's like, it totally flipped that character from me as far as that he became someone that you do root for in a way. Like it's not someone who's just uh, through, through dumb luck, uh, you presume has developed this relationship with with Cookie, or she's taken so uh, she's had like infinite patience with him. It's it's someone that does have a very clear sort of um, moral values, and it just you know I remember Roger Ebert saying this a lot about uh, different films, and uh, it's a strange compliment, but he really enjoyed seeing films about like nice people, mm-hmm. just about nice good people, and and really the fact that he pointed out i was it always made me think like well, you don't really see that a lot you do you do not see stories about simple nice people because i think filmmakers don't deem those those types interesting don't they don't like seeing their stories on film or they just don't got, think audiences will accept something so simple and good you see that in a lot of altman's altman's movies um you see characters who are very nuanced who you know there is a viewpoint and a way uh, to look at their situation that is different than maybe how the story has been presenting itself to you. Um, you know, there's a movie called Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Um, you know, very good film. Another one where everyone is basically just a good person. And, and, there ha- and there's conflict arising because of 
you know, other things or, or the past or whatever. Um, but nothing's exactly happening where, you know, people aren't just like killing each other left and right. Um, you know, the big, the big thing I, I always remember is that in student films and everything, um, you know, they'll, they'll always set up like an argument or something for, you know, if two people, and of course at the very end, someone just pulls out a gun, uh, from under the table and blasts (laughs) them away. And, and, you know, for, for like a first time film student, that's the only way they can, you know, imagine this conflict being resolved um you know and it's a lot it's a lot harder to do what what woody allen and what robert altman you know would would do um and have these characters you know solve their problems in a more realistic and grounded uh and insightful way um you know and you'd have to really like invest yourself and spend the time with them uh and we haven't discussed the, the funniest joke in the movie which i think is ned Beatty. Uh, looking at uh, ah on, in Scrabble, uh, the word ah a w e, and going ah we ah we is not a word, and just like slamming his fists on the table. Uh, you know, I think I, I just think that's the winning moment. I think I think if that moment doesn't win you over to to Cookie's fortune, um, you know, you you know, you probably weren't uh going to be receptive to you know to anything like it. So, um, but... yeah, for me in that moment, what I liked was I liked how everyone. Their reaction to him uh-huh. flipping the board is like he has committed the like there you know there's a maybe a murder that has transpired they don't they don't really know but him flipping the board they're just like that is just like how could you like you 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 were raised better than that uh, and also I one gag that really worked for me is the fact that everyone really really got excited uh, to have a coke everyone yeah. was always, yeah. always demanding a coke at the country house of Sir William McCordell. The guests are wealthy. If I wanted coffee, I'd have rung for it. He thinks he's God Almighty. They all do. Privileged. Ooh, yum. What's she like to work for? She's a snobbish cow. Famous. Mr. Weisman's very odd. Apparently, he produces motion pictures. Hello, I'm Morris Weisman. Who? The servants are loyal. I just wanted to be sure you had everything you need. Discreet. You shouldn't sneak up on people like that. Don't worry, it's nobody. Devoted. Thank you. Oh, got some hair on your dress. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Mr. Weissman, yep. tell us about the film you're going to make. It's a detective story. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect. And who turns out to have done it? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you that. It, it would spoil it for you. Oh, but none of us is it. <gasps> Why would anyone want to kill him? Well, he wasn't exactly Father Christmas. <laughs> I think he's got something to hide, that one. Do you think he's a murderer? It's worse than that. He's an actor. What about that low bullet that nearly killed him that morning they were out? Sir, we haven't dusted those things for fingerprints yet. Hmm? Good. USA Films presents a film by Robert Altman. I was just wondering if you wanted some company. Well, I suppose life must go on. Alan Bates, Stephen Fry, Michael Gambon, Derek Jacoby, Kelly McDonald, Helen Murin, Jeremy Northam, Clive Owen, Ryan Phillippe, Kristen Scott Thomas, Maggie Smith, Emily Watson. Tough luck on whoever's got any secrets to hide. How oh, horrid. Gosford Park. Perhaps the butler did it. Well, now that we're back, I guess we should explain why we're talking about Gosford Park for the rest of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not that we're you know tired of 1999 or the films from that that year, but uh, we're providing I guess some new material for any pr- particular very particular super fans who may have previously heard our discussion on Cookies for- Fortune from uh, another podcast. So sure, this is a little I guess some new content, bonus material for this this podcast. 
So, um, I mean, I guess in general, yeah, we when we, we, we talked about this a lot, uh, I guess, you know, I wanted to go further into detail on Robert Altman. Um, and I said, and no. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why are you already a Robert Altman hate, hater, uh, at this point, Michael Denniston? Why? Uh, I, I'm not, uh, but I think if I was going to have a conversation with you about him, I would quickly be revealed as a poser. Uh, if we're going to go through like our favorites of, of his his filmography, because uh, when we were discussing this last week, I was like, yeah, I've seen The Player. Let's see what Shortcuts, Nashville, you know, all, all the hits, basically. Shut up and play the hits. Um, and you were recommending things that not that I would be opposed to seeing, uh, but I wanted to <laughs> shorten the conversation uh, because uh, I'm lazy and uh, I was not going to have time to be able to discuss this man's uh, entire work uh, with any, I, I don't think it would have been interesting uh, for the listeners, at least on what I was contributing. It would have been a one man show. It would have been you, which could have been fun if you want to do that. Well, you, you can still do that. I, I did we'll, the Wayne's we'll World know. intro. We'll you know? never know. I was here um, for that part. So... <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember when he died in 2005 or in 2006 or whatever, uh, and after that, there was a, there was a big Altman retrospective in New York. And I remember going to see a, a handful of movies, uh, through that. And that really was what, what got me hooked on him was being able to see all these like hidden gems that people hadn't really talked about. And they used to be incredibly hard to find. They, they still are, but not nearly as much as they, as they used to be. Um, some of the movies I've brought up to you, you know, suggesting for this episode, movies like Images, uh, Three Women, um, California Split, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the, at the time those were like only available on out of print DVDs and, and hard to find. And, uh, now, you know, you, you know, Images just had a big Blu-ray release and that's a really excellent Altman movie that I think you would still really like. It's very much in the same vein as the, um, what's her name from Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss, yeah, uh, the, yeah. the queen, queen of Earth. Mm. Is that what it was yeah, called? Yeah, I was a big fan of that movie, yeah. It's very much in that same vein, which is why I think you would like it, and you should check it out if, if you get a chance. Uh, but all, but ultimately, we I guess we wanted we tried to go with something that had a connection with Cookie's Fortune and Gosford Park is coming, you know, just two years after Cookie's Fortune, and it is also just like Cookie's Fortune about, you know, a a dynasty, a family of sorts that has a lot of complicated, uh, you know, liaisons in their past, um, and and much like the characters. In Cookie's Fortune, the characters in Gosford Park are often uh, putting on a lot of uh, pretense, uh, a lot putting on a lot of airs and trying to pretend to be something they're not, uh, trying to mask the tragedy in their life, uh, you know, for the sake of class. Uh, and we see that uh, we see that a lot, in, just in regards to the gossip that uh, Maggie Smith's character engages in, talking about so-and-so who's had her had their fortune uh uh uh, uh de depleted and now has to wear bad clothes or whatever and so she she you know cackles and, and talks about them did you find anything to like in gosford park michael <laughs> the ending <laughs> when it was over <laughs> and i'm i'm not saying that just to be a smart ass but um 
I think the characters, what I was most interested in with the characters, uh, was, it was going to require some revelation, I guess. Uh, and, uh, a bit more understanding on my part as far as to, you know, give, giving me a reason to care or showing that they care about one another, the, the, the pretense that you're talking about, I, uh, I get that some people would like it. I have to put out there, um, with this one, cause I had a little bit of trouble getting into cookies fortune, uh, to a certain point before I, I, I sort of fell under its spell. Um, but I, I liked the, I certainly liked the, uh, the economic class we're looking at more so in cookies fortune than Gosford park. And I know this setting, um, in this type of material, this sort of Agatha Christie type, like parlor game, this, this murder mystery is catnip to certain people. Uh, it just has never worked for me. Like I've, I've read a couple of her novels and just don't really get into them. And, um, I, I actually, I don't think I've told you this. I think I've told this story on another podcast, but I actually had seen, <laughs> I think the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie in its theatrical run and walked out of it. <laughs> the film <laughs> I was with just keeps it. getting better and better Michael just keeps getting better and better clearly this is why I was a bit hesitant to be on an Altman uh, retrospective um, and of course in the film we you threw out Gosford Park I was like yeah sure that's fine that'll that that's more fitting with 99 from 99 um, I start watching it I'm like wait I've seen this before and uh I remember going on a date with a young lady and she really wanted to see it. And I was really opposed to seeing it. And, uh, we got in and I was just, I, I was just miserable. I just, I just did not care. I couldn't really follow it. Didn't have any interest in following it. And I convinced this, this poor young woman to, to leave from a film that she had wanted to see. Uh, and then we went to, uh, uh, we snuck into Richard Gears, the Mothman prophecies and I had a blast. And it was great. <laughs> I was, <laughs> you, you know, you brought up a movie that I consider to be pretty great. Okay. Uh, the Moffin Processes. Is it Gosford Park? Uh, you know, not really. But uh, I, I adore that I don't movie. Know. I, I guess I just want to try to explain to you some of the things that I see in Gosford <laughs> Park that you did not. And, and a lot of people it's do. It's fine. Yeah, because well, when, you, when you were talking about that, you were saying, uh, I thought it was interesting. You were saying like, uh, when he passed away and you were discovering all these films that a lot of people wouldn't have access to just having his I'm to be his known for Gosford Park is the top it's above shortcuts the player and mash so I mean this one was a success I, I think when it released it uh, got some nominations it was a box office hit I think it was his second biggest financial hit so yeah I'm, I'm certainly in the minority but yeah take it away on Gosford Park you know, I just think that what this is is uh, it's, it's sort of it's sort of like it's sort of like Woody Allen with Matchpoint. It's sort of uh, a guy doing something, approaching a story that he's done in a certain way with this gigantic ensemble piece with all this activity happening and everything, which is what we've seen in Nashville and we've seen in movies like A Wedding and blah blah blah, tons of other stuff, uh, and this sort of picking it up and taking taking it into a different place in a different setting uh, and merging it with that Agatha Christie kind of genre that you're talking about. Uh, I think the other uh, genre that would come up would be be uh, the the TV miniseries um, Upstairs Downstairs, which I've never actually seen, uh, but but it but it comes up a lot when people discuss. Uh, Downton Abbey, mm -hmm. which so the screenwriter here 
goes on to create Downton Abbey. And you can definitely see some parallels there. I mean, the whole creation of Maggie Smith's character, she basically, it's basically the same character that you see in, uh, in Downton Abbey. She's a little bit warmer there, but only because, you know, that show went on for so long. Right. Uh, <laughs> and what, what's being examined here, you know, is, is class is, you know, specifically the English class system and this whole thing with a kind of despicable man who has used underlings uh, for sexual purposes over the years. And we're seeing that get uh, deconstructed. And you see that with the uh, Emily Watson character uh, in this incredible scene where she breaks the biggest taboo that a servant can break is speaking uh, her mind, uh, uh, you know, oh, speaking at all uh, during the dinner service. Are you interested in films, sir? Not likely. Why shouldn't I be interested in films? You don't know what I'm interested in. Well, I know you're interested in money and fiddling with your guns, but I admit it, when it comes to anything else, I'm stumped. That's it. That is not fair, Billy. <laughs> and I, 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 did you get anything out of that out of that scene, Michael? I grabbed my attention finally. Um, I think for the most part, I was, I was in and out. You know, kind of paying attention, not paying. I don't know. I just, I was really, really struggling with this this movie because none of the characters upstairs or downstairs are, to me at least, particularly likable uh, until something happens, like the the day to day you know, party that they're, they're, they're trying to, to gather for the, the, the shooting of the birds and, you know, the, the, just the pre- preparation for their horse shit and their exchange of horse shit. Um, wasn't as charming to me as something like cookies fortune. And it, it may be my background. It, you know, uh, I don't know, but I, I did like that scene. Uh, <laughs> I liked the, uh, uh, Ryan Philippi character quite a bit. The, the one that almost immediately they say there's something funny with his accent. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I wanted, I, I don't know. I gravitated towards him as being almost called out immediately as an outsider trying to, to play in their game. Um, and almost always kind of just overplaying his hand a little bit, uh, which is, you know, if you see the film, you, you know, it's revealed why um, I, I wanted more of, and I, that's why I said I wasn't trying to be glib. Like, that I was most pleased with the ending because uh, I felt like the, the characters and maybe it's the actors portraying them that feel like the leads. I don't think the film treats them as such until there's a plot revelation where they, they should be uh, propped up and you learn more about them. And so you see someone like Helen Mirren for me and I'm like, okay, well, you know, where, where hit her big scenes? Like why, why is she playing this part? And I, maybe it's just that, uh, idea of who she is as an actress. I'm like, why isn't she playing one of the upstairs characters? Why does she have some big sort of bold scenes? And eventually it will come to that. So it wasn't really the murder mystery aspect of it. Cause I didn't really care. Like you said, this guy's not very likable. I don't care who did it really. Um, but I just wanted to to see the why, not for the crime purposes, because I felt like having these characters in that uh, almost bottle episode type scenario, uh, I wanted to see them play off of each other. And um, it's a little restrained, I think, given the the culture they're focusing on. And it's probably just re- too restrained for, for my sensibilities. But there are some really killer scenes at the end, especially with Helen Mirren that I, I really liked. 
Yeah, I love uh, what we see with her, and I guess I don't really want to go too too far into right. detail with that. Uh, if 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 anyone hasn't seen this movie, but I think you know what he's taking off from with what both him and Julian Fellows are taking off, and Bob Balaban, who wrote the screenplay too, uh, they're taking off from um, the Jean Renoir movie, uh, The Rules of the Game, which has a very famous uh, hunting sequence as well. And um, and I guess, so, Michael, at any point, did you consider that maybe Robert Altman considers the, you know, the goings-on of this upper-class family? Maybe he considers it bullshit too. And maybe that's the viewpoint that's being expressed, just not in an over in an overly uh, aware uh, sense. I mean, sure, I, I would say that, but uh, I'm more of a Dr. T and the women kind of man. You know, I need to, <laughs> I need a little more broad, baby. Come on, come on, uh, Altman, give it to me. So, uh, yeah, I, I certainly think that's why I like, you know, the the idiot, the, the Ryan Philippi character uh, mm-hmm. more. And so I guess I'm looking for some broader aspects to it and not so buttoned up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it is astounding though, cause I'm watching it with my wife and I think I kept pausing it and I'd be like, cause it, it's, it's over two hours, but I'd look, I was like, good Lord, it's 50 minutes in. I was like, what, what, where are we going with this? What is the, what's the direction? And I, I kind of knew, I mean, based on the, the, the poster, uh, and just a little quick blurb about what we're getting into. I'm like, okay, this is some sort of like murder mystery thing. Uh, but he does really hang his hat on just how much horseshit they throw out there and it is interesting when the man you know the, the victim here dies um the, i mean there's absolutely no grieving one way or the other about it and it's just i think all the talk is just like how this can constitute a, a bigger problem uh for any of the characters and what they're trying to get out of being on the periphery of this man and his wealth and his power uh or if it solves them and i mean there's there's definitely some humor there uh but it, i think it was a bit of a slog for me to spend this much time with these type of people before before the the events of the uh, the murder take place. Well, so I mean, I think you should continue to <laughs> slog through <laughs> to it. challenge yourself. No, I think you should continue to challenge yourself with Robert Altman movies. And I think if you do, I think you, one day you might come back to this one and find a lot to really love about it. Is is all I would say. And so you've talked a lot about Ryan Phillippe's character and the obvious stand-in that Ryan Phillippe and Ivor Novello and uh, the producer played by Bob Balaban, the obvious stand-in is Hollywood. And you've probably seen me 20 times uh, <laughs> post a Maggie Smith gif uh, about, uh, about how no one's going to see uh, Bob Balaban's uh, movie that he's talking about. Uh, and now at least you get the joke. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, but don't you think it's funny that uh, these people who are members of the upper class are looked down upon, not just because they're American, but because they make entertainment for uh, regular everyday people mm-hmm. as well, which is what I've always thought. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and so with Maggie Smith's little comment about Ivor Novello, uh, don't give him any, any encouragement. Don't, don't applaud him while he's singing and all that. Uh, you know, I find, I find so much to, you know, to enjoy uh, in terms of these little moments in this movie. And it it's hard for me to understand the perspective of someone who, who doesn't get anything out of all of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, but I wa- you should continue to challenge yourself with Robert Altman movies because... So way back when I was in school, 
I, I, I lobbied really hard for Nashville to be taught to uh, incoming film students in, their, in the first year. And that was something that eventually happened. And when it did, uh, half of them really, really found it inspiring and half of them uh, hated it. And the thing of it is, is that when you go through an experience like that, I, I don't think you should just shut yourself off to, uh, uh, to what it might have to offer. I think you should continue to challenge yourself and see what, there, what of value you might be able to find. What do other people find of value? Uh, I was having a conversation with another friend earlier today, and I was telling him how, how much I respect John Cassavetes, but that every time I go down to sit uh, and watch a John Cassavetes movie, it always feels like medicine. Mm-hmm. It always feels like something I, I have to do. Uh, it's not something I can effortlessly, effortlessly enjoy. And, and that's okay. Like you can still find uh, things that are worth talking about in stuff like that. I mean, I, I, I'm going to suggest that we do the gingerbread man next. I think that's, that's what we've got on the agenda, right? That was the one right before. I think you're making a joke, but you know, <laughs> it, it, I think, I don't think, I don't think Robert Altman ever made a movie that wasn't worth watching twice. Uh, that's saying so, something. Uh, you know, I, I've seen gingerbread man once uh, and I watched it with the com- commentary on, which doesn't count. And you know what? I'd be up for watching the gingerbread man again. You're a braver man than most, sir. I don't know. And I say that having not seen it, but uh, uh, it's just a John Grisham movie. So that, that would actually become interesting to see Altman put his uh, fingerprints on that. So it's really not. It's really not. And I don't want to oversell it because I don't remember liking it very much. I remember <laughs> thinking it was it was pretty uh, mediocre and not very successful like his other movies. But it, it's very different from like The Firm or anything like that. Firm's so really it good, might though. Make for, it might make for an interesting yeah watch the only film of his i ever hate i ever really really hated would be uh quintet with paul newman and bb besh and they're wandering around this arctic apocalypse and they're playing this ridiculous game and it's an incredibly well uh pretty like designed movie like it's like big sets and everything but the the story is nonsense (laughs) I, I didn't think you're not a big fan of Secret Honor though either, right? I think I think it's the it's the conflict conflicts inside me because I guess I'm such a big fan of Richard Nixon that it's hard for me to be a fan of Secret Honor. And I think Richard Nixon was a guy who was full of flaws, full of, you know, holes inside him. But Secret Honor, the play specifically, doesn't really delve into that. It's just a lot of him screaming and everything and I don't find it very I don't find it very nuanced or complex um Philip Baker Hall you know is really good in it but it's not it doesn't hold a candle to to Nixon or or to Dick coming up you know (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to promote a future episode on this podcast uh yeah (laughs) I've not seen that one I'm a fan of Secret Honor though I, I really dug that one that was when I watched uh for uh War Machine versus War Horse and uh, late at night and i think like gosford park i sort of struggled with it um uh, but i got more out of it and uh maybe it is just because he is so over the top and uh just so full of rage through most of it that it, it held my attention but uh for a long time i didn't really know what i was watching but i, I stuck with it so sure the two to answer your your more 
you know, your attempts to steer this in a more serious uh, light. I always really like movies that I initially am, you know, just kind of down on, I guess, in some regard. And then uh, for whatever reason, they, they stick in my craw and I, I come back and revisit some months or, you know, a year or two later. Uh, that's, that's always sort of a pleasant uh, surprise and experience to, to have some reason to go back something. So we'll see. Um, I doubt it with Gosford Park. Um but I would say Cookie's Fortune I'll probably revisit. Uh and that was one that I was very hesitant to to watch. I, I didn't I looked at it and didn't think I don't know if this is for me and uh I, I I had a blast with it. So uh sometimes you you know, you're still batting uh for a good average, Mr. Benzuk. You're you're fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> on paper i would have thought this would be a, a real michael dennison joint it, it's funny yeah it has a lot of subtle incisive wit uh and and it really it does i think it pokes fun at the upper class a lot uh but uh moving on uh we have to set up what's coming next week which is going to be odd because we've already recorded that episode so do you know what's up next week uh michael no dennison? i'm i'm lost in our timeline <laughs> here uh, i have no idea <laughs> But All right, so I'll though, give you <laughs> apparently. I'll I'll give you a hint. Uh, they both feature, uh, I guess, uh, cast members from uh, Scream. Oh, okay. This is an easier clue than what uh, you presented on the actual recording. So uh, this would be Go and SLC Punk. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we're we're just really uh, we're, we're going back to a lot, a lot of teen or, or youth demographic movies. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that's of interest to you. And uh, if you aren't already, follow us on Twitter or uh, Instagram, Facebook at 99 from 99.